And I want to talk to you this morning about the goodness of the King. Amen. You need to realize that how many of you know we are in a kingdom. When you are, when we become a, when we become born again, the Bible says that we that we come, that we are brought. Colossians chapter one verse thirteen says that you are brought out of the power or the authority of darkness, and you are conveyed into the kingdom of the Son of God's love. And this is a very difficult concept. We have spent a tremendous amount of time this year since February talking about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, and getting your and trying to get your paradigm shift to. Because this is hard. It is hard for, for people in a Western culture who have a democratic republic uh, mindset to think about, wait a minute, we're in a kingdom. Because in America, we got this thing called the Constitution and we have this Bill of Rights and we think, well, you know, I got the freedom of speech and bless God, I got the right to say anything that I want to. How many of you know it's not that way in the kingdom? It's not that way in the kingdom. And so it's a really hard uh, mind shift for us to make. And this is the thing. We ha- Another thing in our societies, we have been trained not to trust our leaders. Dear Lord, look at the, look at the public opinion of, of Congress's job rating. It has, historically, it has never been lower. I'm convinced it's just because we know more about what's going on than what we did 50 years ago. But it's never been lower. And so we're automatically skeptical of leaders. You know, and, and if we're not careful, we think because it's the government that we operate under that a democracy, or it really we are a republic, we democratically elect our leaders, but we are a republic, and we think that that's the best form of government. And I heard this statement years ago, man, before the Lord began to speak to me, and I got a revelation of what, it, of what the kingdom of heaven really is. But I heard a minister say one time, he said, he said, a lot of people think that a republic is the best form of government to live under. He said, but it's not. Because how many of y'all know that if they go to pass a bill, it takes forever to go through, right? Republics are notoriously slow. Now, the founding fathers were smart enough to realize with the governments of earth, that's the best you could do. And if you could slow something down, it would, keep stuff, it would prevent stuff from just being passed hastily. Unless your government can fabricate a crisis to make you want to shove something through quickly. But that's, I won't talk about that. But you understand, the best form of government is a kingdom under the rule of a righteous king. A righteous king. Now, there have been kingdoms in the world that have been ruled by unrighteous kings and kings who were not good, who abused their power. But you understand that in a kingdom that is ruled by a righteous king... The righteous king always looks out for the welfare of his people because this thing, the reputation of a king is based on the standard of living of his subjects. Some of y'all are going to get a hold of that. The reputation of a king is based on the, the standard of living of the citizens of his kingdom. And how many times do you read in the Bible where God said, I'm going to do something? He says, he says I'll do it for my name's sake. What's he saying? God's saying, even though you didn't deserve it, I'm going to do it just because I'm watching out for my reputation. You've not done anything to earn this. You've not done anything to deserve it. But for my name's sake, I'm going to do it. Because why? Because God's saying, because you're in my kingdom and my reputation's riding on it. And I'm going to take care of you. Why? Because our king is good. Amen. And so you understand this. And I just want to give you this little story to set the context for what we're going to talk about, the goodness of the king. How many of you are familiar with the story of Esther? Amen. Remember Esther, while the children of Israel, they were carried off into captivity. And they were originally taken by the Babylonian Empire. Then the Babylonians were conquered by the Persians. And the Persian king got mad at his wife because 
uh, Queen Vashni because he asked her to come out and come on out here, baby. I want to show you off in front of all these men. Let them see, let them oogle at you. See how good looking you are. And she said, I ain't doing that. And so he said, that's it, baby. You ain't, you ain't the queen no more. Get out of my face. And he said, I'm going to look for me a new queen. And so he looked all through the land and he looked for a beautiful, uh, uh, you know, wanted a beautiful woman and found Esther. The Lord brought Esther to him. And so Esther uh, became the queen. This is the condemn, you know, this is the Spark Notes version of this story for you. Amen. So Esther became queen. And, of course, you know the story how uh, Haman had uh, made a plot that he was going to have all the Jews destroyed. And Mordecai, her uncle, Mordecai came to her and said, Look, said you need to go talk to the king and go in on our behalf and intercede. He said, because don't make no mistake about it. He said, don't think if you, if you uh, don't help the Jews in this their time of need that you're going to escape because you'll perish too. But if you don't do something, God will bring up salvation for us from somebody else. And she said, but her concern was, she said, you know how it is, you know the law, the law of the land was, you didn't go before the Persian king unless he requested your presence. And if you went into his court, if you went into his throne room without his permission, the law said, unless he extended his scepter out and he showed you favor and granted you audience, they took you out and they executed you. And it was regardless of your position. It was regardless who you were. So even the queen was susceptible that if she went into his presence without his permission, if he didn't grant her favor, she could be executed. That was the Persian law. Well, you know, the Bible says over in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, it says, that, you know, how many of you know, we have a king. Amen, that's weak. How many of you know, we have a king. This is audience participation. This is congregation participation. Amen. You say amen, hallelujah, give me a woo every once in a while. I'm not going to get nervous. Amen. We have a king. And the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4, it's talking about how Jesus became a great high priest for us. That Jesus, you understand this, that Jesus went to the cross and He shed His blood and He paid the price for our sin so that we could, so that we could beat. The Bible says, you need to understand, when you make Jesus Lord, when you say, Jesus, I make a, I, I am making you the Lord of my life, and you are going to be the Lord. I submit to you. I submit to your will. I believe in you. The Bible says if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. Behold, all thing, old things have passed away and all things become new. You're no longer an old sinner saved by grace. You used to be an old sinner. That man died at the cross with Jesus and you were raised in the newness of life and you became, the Bible says, you become a son of God and God clothes you with the righteousness that Jesus gave you. It wasn't your own, but God says, look, you you don't need that. The old song that I used to sing in my church, two coats were before me, an old and a new. I could have either, but what should I do? Amen? And it says, you took off the old coat, that old nature that you were before you made Jesus Lord, you took it off, you laid it aside, and God said, here is a robe of righteousness that I'm going to give you. It's clean, it's spotless, and this is what my children wear. This is the robe of royalty. This is what children of the king wear. Because you understand, the Bible says that we are spiritual Israel. Because God wasn't looking for servants. God wasn't looking for just people. Now, you understand, the, the Son is a servant also. But He's looking for something more than that. He's looking for people to come in relationship that, 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 that the Holy Spirit in us allows us to cry out, Abba, Father. Abba means Daddy. It's a term of intimacy. that You, do, you know, you see some kids, they say, Father, Father, Father. And there's no relationship there. You can tell it, it is a cold, distant relationship. But when a little kid says, Daddy, Daddy, there's a difference when someone says, Father, when your kids go, Father. huh? But when they say, Daddy. 
And they know there's always a place on, on daddy's lap for him to come set. That says there's intimacy. We understand God, when he said, when he changed Jacob's name to Israel, Israel meant prince of God. Prince of God. And so that's what God's intention was, is for us to be His children. Because from the very beginning, and some of you have heard this before, but some of us need to hear it again and again and again, because faith comes by hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing. The Bible says, it, it says in the beginning, in John chapter 1, it says that as many as believed in Jesus, to them He gave the power to become the sons of God. Amen? The sons of God. Luke chapter 3, verse 38 it's talking about the lineage of Jesus, and it goes down, and it starts all the way with his earth, the man who who was in the role of his earth, earthly father, Joseph, and it goes down and goes the son of the son of the son of the son of the son of, and you go down through like thirty five verses of the stuff, and you're tempted to skip over it, but you go on down, and it says Seth the son of Adam, Adam the son of God. Because God's intention was to make His children upon the earth and that His children would be just like Him. That when, when the world, when the world, when, when the people looked at you, you resembled Daddy. It's like my oldest son Clay. Cheyenne looks at him, looks at pictures of me at that age, and she's like, it's like a clone. How many of y'all know that's the way that it should be in the Spirit? That when people look at you, and when the devil sees you, he should look at you and go, my Lord, he looks just like a clone of God. Because God designed you, He created you after His likeness and His image. Now this is the thing. The devil, Adam messed all that up when he sinned. Adam messed that up. The Bible says in the beginning, God said, let us create man in our likeness and our image. And read it. Study it out. Then sin entered the world. Adam sinned. And his spiritual nature changed. He died. He used to be a living, breathing creature. Now he's just a breathing creature. Some of y'all get it. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. The rest of the people get it. Man became a living soul. God breathed into man's nostrils and he became a living soul. It literally means a, an, an alive, breathing creature. And when sin entered, he died. Oh, he's still walking around breathing all right. But he's dead. huh? Dead man walking. Because he was an alive. Because God's definition of alive is different than our definition of alive. We think just because someone can fog up a mirror that they're alive. Uh-uh. God has a different definition of a, because alive to God means you're in fellowship with Him. The life of God is flowing into your spirit and it flows out of your spirit because remember that, that when it gets in you, it becomes a it becomes a well that bubbles up in you and it flows out into the world. And you just walk around. Now you just walking around. And you know sometimes we say in one context we say being a leaky vessel. You know, because we say we're all crackpots and you need to, that's why you need to keep being filled full of the Holy Ghost, being, being filled of God's Word because it leaks out. But another way, it's a good thing to be leaky because God wants you going out. He wants it just flowing out of you every place you go. He wants when you go in, when you go in someplace that you're the fragrance of life. That it's flowing out of you, and you walk into you walk into a situation, and you walk into places, and the power of God that's on you, people sense it. They know there's something different. You don't even have to say a word. I remember stories, some of you may know who he is, hearing stories about Smith Wigglesworth. He was a great apostle of faith, and, and he was over in England, and he got, he got on the subway one day, and just a tremendous man of God, had such a powerful anointing of God on his life, said he went and he sat down on the train to go, he sat down beside someone, and said he wasn't there but two minutes, and said they jumped up and said, my God, what is it about you? There's something all over you that I want. He didn't say a word. It was just the presence and the power of God on his life, because you get in the presence of God, 
you spend time with Abba Father, you know what? It's going to rub off on you. And then when you take it out in the world, man, people know it. And people will be attracted to it. People are just as attracted to the anointing and the presence of God on your life as they are repulsed by religion. And there ain't nothing wrong with being nauseated at religion. Jesus was nauseated at religion. Be real honest, we'll just go ahead and kick the top right off of it for all of you. Christianity was the religion that man made around what Jesus did. Amen? And it will keep you separated from the life of God because that's what religion does. Amen? So we, Jesus wasn't religious. I don't try to be religious. I'm about relationship. Amen? With the Father. But praise God. God, so you understand this, where Esther had a king that she couldn't go into boldly, the book of Hebrews says that because we're in Christ, it says that you can boldly enter into the throne room of grace for help in the time of trouble. Ain't it funny that it's so funny to me, and this is a trick that the devil plays on so many people, that when they get in trouble, and that maybe they've been someone, they're a believer, they're born again. If they died, they ain't going to go to hell. Okay? Because you understand there's a vast world, just as much difference as there is in Savannah and my development is how much difference there is between being a believer and being a true disciple of Jesus. Because believer gets you this. That's believer. And the sad thing is you can go 40 and 50 and 60 and 70 and 80 and 90 years and still be if you don't ever progress beyond that and grow. Disciples are different. But you understand this, that as we grow, the Bible says, you understand, there may be people who are believers that they've, you know, like Brennan was sharing this morning, maybe one time you've opened up the door and you went in. And this is the thing, because somebody didn't tell you, because you couldn't see and because somebody couldn't tell you what all was available to you in the store, you just thought, well, I got in, you know, whatever good it is. And maybe you've stepped back out the door. And you step back in the door every once in a while. And you step back out the door every once in a while. And you just kind of hang around the door. Well, I didn't see anything in the store that I wanted. Or, or you've been tricked into thinking, because there are a lot of churches that will teach this, Hallelujah, I found the door. I'm having a party. I'm staying by the door. Woo! Look at that nice door I found. Woo, it's a nice door. It's not, and, hanging, and you spend your whole life hanging around the door. But you never go on in to what the door made available to you. Because that's what Jesus, if Jesus... Did Jesus not say, I am the door? Into what? He said, he said, no one comes to the Father except by me. Well, where's the Father at? He's in heaven, but it's in, it's in the kingdom. It, and you understand kingdom, it means how God administers things. How God runs things. Literally, God's, God's realm of authority, God's rule, God, how God governs things. Man, glory to God. He is a good God. Amen? Amen. Turn to Psalms chapter 34. Hallelujah. Don't just hang around the door. Get on in. Check it out. There's all kinds of good stuff in there. Psalm 34. Too many people who are believers are not convinced that God is good. Do you know you can tithe for the wrong reason? Tithing's good. 
You can tithe for the wrong reason. I know this fellow that I used to work with up in West Virginia. He would tithe, and you know, wouldn't he, I mean, he'd maybe go to church once a year. <laughs> he'd maybe go at Christmas or Easter. But man, he'd tithe. He'd make sure he tithed. But you know why he tithed? He didn't tithe because he loved the Lord and he believed that it was right to honor God with the first fruit of all his finances. He didn't do that because God's commanded it's right to honor him. And God says, if I do it, he will rebuke the devourer for my sake. He will open up the windows of heaven and he'll pour out blessings on me that there's not room to contain. The reason he tithed was, and he told me this one time, I was telling him, he was telling me, he said, he said something about tithing. You know, he said, he was, he said uh, you know, I don't like to work. They, they pulled him to work a double on Sunday. And he didn't really like to work on Sundays, but he said, but he said, I'll, I'll give me some more money to tithe to my church. And, uh, and he said, and I said, well, that's, that's great, Frank. I said, that's, that's really good that you're, you know, that you're so devout about that that you know, you're going you know, to tithe off of it. And he said, yeah, he said, I, I used to not tithe. He said, I missed it a couple of times and God tore my tractor up. I said, I said, God did what? He said, God tore my tractor up because I didn't tithe. He said, Bless God, I tithe now. He said, I won't let. He said, I don't let nothing slip. And uh, I said, Well, Frank, I said, Now you don't really think that God tore your tractor up because you missed your tithe one time, do you? Oh, I sure do. Oh, now you understand this. That how many of y'all know that that may just been something that you can do something, you can do the right thing religiously. And the devil trick you into keep doing it religiously for the wrong reason that keeps you from getting the benefits of doing it from a pure heart. And uh, and yeah, and he said he said yes, yeah, I don't miss he said, I don't miss giving my tithes anymore. And I, and you understand this that yes, the Bible does teach that that you know in Malachi he was talking about these people. He said if you neglect to tithe, you neglect neglect to tithe and bring offerings. He said, if you do that, he said, then you're cursed with, your finances are cursed with a curse. But you understand that that doesn't mean that God is sending out, he ain't got gremlins in heaven saying, go break their tractor. You know? God's like, that's it, Gabriel. You know, go cause their engine to blow up in their truck or something like that. That isn't what happens. Is that you understand that obedience to the Word brings us under the place where we're under God's blessing and His protection because God is good. But when we habitually do stuff that brings us out from underneath that obedience to the Word, it puts you in a position where the enemy can get to you, and God don't have to do it, baby. It's just like this. It's like if you're driving in your Jeep on a safari, and you're driving through a pride of lions, and the guide says, you know what, just stay in the truck and it'll all be good. And I don't know if those doors got child safety locks on them or not, but just say you're dumb. And you want to say, well, you know, I want to go check them pretty little flowers out. Don't worry about them lines. And you open up the, the truck door and you jump out of the truck and you go over and you're sniffing the flowers. Next day, you might be line droppings. And did the guide kill you? Are they going to charge the, the tour guide that you went over? Are they going to charge him with murder? No, they're going to bury you and say, here lies the remains of a stupid person. That's why it's a little grave. Because we didn't have to dig a big hole for all that was left. Because they got out of the they got out of the jeep on the safari where the lions were at. Now that's what happens. God, you understand? God is out to get you, but not to get you bad. God is out to get you in the family. God is not out to bust your chops and make life miserable on you. That's the devil's job. John ten ten. Write this down. I love this. Is my favorite scripture for correcting bad theology. John 10.10, 10. Jesus said, The thief comes not but to steal, 
kill, and destroy. I have come that they might have Zoe, life, the God kind of life, where you stop being just a breathing creature, but you become a life creature, not an alive breathing creature again to God. I've come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. So you take that statement right there. Does it come from the devil or does it come from God? Well, the criteria, if something in your life steals, kills, or destroys something good in your life, did God do it? No. Amen? If something brings life and life more abundantly, where did that come from? James chapter 1, verse, uh, what, 19? Be not deceived, brethren. Every good and perfect gift comes down from God, from the, from God. Amen? That every good and perfect thing comes from God. Imagine that. Good and perfect stuff comes from a good and perfect God. Amen? And so you understand, God is good. God, His purpose is to be good to you. Psalms 34. You all thought I forgot about that, didn't you? Amen? So, oh, Pastor, you done forgot about Psalms. I'm closing my Bible. Amen? Psalms 34. I'm just, I, you know, I'm going to read the whole thing for you. It's 22 verses. We're going to read it. You can shout if you want to because this is God's Word. Amen? I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt His name together. I sought the Lord, and He heard me, and delivered me from all my fears. They looked to Him and were radiant, and their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried out, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fear Him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in Him. Oh, fear the Lord, you His saints. There is no want. That literally means there is no lack for those who fear Him. The young lions lack and suffer hunger, and those who seek the Lord, but those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. Those young lions lack and suffer hunger because ain't nobody getting out of the Jeep. Amen. <laughs> Praise God. Come, you children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Who is the man who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and keep your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and His ears are open to their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. The righteous cry out and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near those who have a broken heart and saves such as have a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. He guards all their bones. Not one of them is broken. Evil shall slay, uh, shall slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous shall be condemned. The Lord redeems the soul of His servants, and none of those who trust in Him shall be condemned. Amen. Go back to that verse where it says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Amen. You need to understand, God is good. His intentions for you are good. He wants to bless you. You understand because God... What was the original intention? Let's just think about it. Some Christians think, well, God doesn't want me to be blessed. And you understand, don't make the mistake of just thinking that blessed automatically means finances because that has been so over-preached and run into the ground the past 20 years in the charismatic circles. Yes, God wants to meet your financial needs. Duh. Okay? But how many of you all think you, got, uh, you have a lot more needs than just finances? Because I could take you to a whole bunch of people. You could, all you got to do is you go on, you turn the news on, or you go on the internet and look at the news, and I can you can find you take your pick of Hollywood celebrities or rock stars or movie stars, whatever that got more money than what you could spend in your lifetime, and they got so many troubles. They so messed up, they can't function without a little, without a little, without a little. And they got all the money in the world. 
So don't make the mistake of thinking that God can just, if God just, man, if God had just dropped $50 million in, you know, in my bank account, I'd be good. Uh-uh. That's part of it. But let me ask you this, you know, what good to do if a man, if a man gains the whole world and loses his soul? We talked about that a couple of weeks ago, didn't we, when we were talking about discipleship. Jesus said, you know, um, you know, he who seeks to keep his life shall lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake and the gospel's sake shall find it. He said, for what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his soul? And we brought this out, and it bears repetition, that we think when we read that verse, we think, oh, what would it, gain, what would it profit a man if he would gain the whole world and lose his soul? And this is how we interpret it. We think it means, what would it profit a man if he had gained everything in the whole world, and he was rich and had everything he needed, and he died and went to hell? Well, that certainly would be a waste, wouldn't it? Because you ain't going to buy no AC units down in hell. Right? You can't take it with you anyway. Well, they say, never seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul yet. But that's not what that verse, that is not all that verse means. What would it profit a man if he gains the whole world, and that phrase, lose his own soul, it literally means to do injury to his own soul. How many of y'all know you can, you can be born again? You can not be going to hell? You can be a child of God and you can still do plenty of injury to your soul. Because you understand the word sin, it literally means it literally means to miss the target. I've said this before. It is a term that, is, is, that originally came from archery where someone, if someone took a bow and they were shooting at a target and they missed the target, it was called sin. And so you can be born again. Hey, babe, this is the thing. If we, we need to start thinking a whole lot deeper than just heaven and hell. Huh? It is a lot. Because how many of y'all know, we talked about this, there's going to be people that are going to be standing before God on the day of judgment. And, and the Bible says that, that Christians are going to stand before God in judgment. We're not going to stand with the sinners because they go to the white, great white throne judgment. And, sorry. But Christians, believers, we're going to stand before God, and He's going, and our works, the works of our lifetime, are going to be tried by the fire of God, and only what was done for Him and remains is going to be there. And so, can you be doing your soul injury? But it says now, it says this: they're saved. They're saved. You're not going to go to hell. But what it means is, is that when all your works are tried by fire, if there's nothing that remains there. This says that you're going to be ashamed before Him at His appearing. And then it says that but you yourself shall escape as though by fire. One translation says as if you're running out of a building that's burning. And so it's possible that we can have this God that's good, that loves us, that wants to bless us, that wants to just show Himself powerful in our life, and His intentions are good, 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 good. And we can, you know, if, we're, if we're distracted by the wrong thing, if we're licking the icing off the cake and leaving the banquet table. Sister Angie had a great word this morning when we got in prayer. Some of you, man, you don't come to 830 prayer. You ought to be here because God's talking to us in 830 prayer. Lord showed us that there's too many believers that want to go to this old beat-up refrigerator and open it up and there's a cake in there and take their finger and rake it in the icing and lick it and go, hmm, that's good, and then walk away and there's the banquet table that God's prepared that has the, meat, the milk of the Word, the meat of the Word, and all that we need to grow up spiritually and be healthy and strong, but we're too busy going to the refrigerator and licking the icing. That was good. It is possible to be serving this good God, this good King that we have, and all that He's made available to us. And because we get distracted, show me something shiny. Because we come to church and we are submerged in a spiritual atmosphere for 
90 minutes, or if pastor gets long-winded, maybe 120. <laughs> Once a week, and then we go right back out the door. And this is the way we come to church. Don't want to let it get in me. I'm just coming in, I'm doing a religious duty, then I'm going to go back out in the real world. What? What? And then when we go back out in the world, we're like, whoop, you know, turn on the radio, listen to this, let's watch this on TV, let's do this, let's listen to this conversation, oh, let me read this, let me do and, we're, uh, and we're just consuming everything that the world's got to give us. But we go in and we insulate ourselves when we go and we come and we hear the word of the king. And this is the thing, you need to... A lot of it, let's just be honest. I, I'm sorry, I can't get away from lordship. It's the message that the Lord has burned in me. We don't trust God. We don't trust Him. I was walking this week, and I shared this Wednesday night at the home meeting. The Lord said, um, he brought me back to my remembrance when Jesus was teaching and he told the Pharisees, he, he, he told he said, the people draw near me with their lips, but their hearts far from me. And the Lord said, the church houses are full of people that they draw near me with their lips, but their hearts far from me because they'll stand in church and they'll say, I love the Lord. They'll stand in church and sing, I love you, Lord. But the people do not know what love means and they do not know what Lord means. And that's why the church of America is impotent and powerless. Because if we will not submit to the authority of our king, then we cannot walk in his power. You have no power unless it's given to you. The church, make no mistake, the church has power available to it. Jesus said... All power, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and make disciples. In other words, you've got to go in his authority and his power to make disciples. Why is the church of America shrinking? In other words, we're not making disciples. Oh, we're moving furniture. We're moving furniture, but we're not making disciples. Why? Because we're not operating in the authority of Jesus because we've rejected his lordship. And it's because we don't trust him. It's because we've got an agenda for our life that we want to do and we don't like the idea of He owns me and that He tells me what to do. And if He says, drop that right now. Remember what the centurion said when Jesus spoke to the Roman centurion? He said, the centurion said, I'm a man under authority and I understand that He said authority said because I operate under it and I tell my servant, go do this and He does it. Or come do this, and he does And they drop everything they're doing. And that's a representation of how we're supposed to be with Jesus. He, if he is our king, you understand the king owns everything in the kingdom. There's no such thing as private property. But yet that's how many people in America live. Well, this is what I give to God. But, this, but God, this is... There was another song I used to sing in a church I grew up in. That's a, you know, that's a place in my heart where even I won't go. Talking about how when the Lord would come to them and wanted to go into a place in a believer's heart and change something in their heart. And they said, the song went along, story, Jesus said, what about this room? Why don't we go in this room? And the believer's response was, Lord, that's a secret place in my heart where even I won't go. I got some stuff up in there that I don't want to let go of. And if, if we can get a revelation 
See, this is the thing, and the Lord's just given, is, is showing me this this morning. The, the reason that the church of America, why so many of us have a problem with accepting the Lordship is because we doubt His goodness. We're not convinced of it. Because sometimes Lordship, He will say, because you understand, I said this, man, God, I don't, I don't mean to be redundant, but I'm going to be redundant. Sometimes God will tell you to let go of something that the thing in itself is good. There's nothing wrong with it. But it's become a wrong priority. It's become a wrong priority. And He says, you've got to let go of that. And this is the thing. If it's something good, I don't think I want to meddle, Lord. I ain't going to do that. Hang on, I'm just going to say it. He might say, even though it's something good, and it might be something that brings you enjoyment, it might be something that's beneficial to you in a way. But what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and to do injury to his own soul? And this is the thing. When he speaks and he says, you need to let that go or you need to take this up. Because remember, that's part of being a disciple. When he says that, we think, well, that won't feel good to let go of it. Ching, ching, ching. Can you hear the flesh being crucified? Ching, ching. Drive another nail. Ching, ching. Remember, Jesus said, if you're going to be my disciple, what's the, y'all, some of y'all should know this by now, what's the first requisite to being a disciple? In other words, Jesus is like, don't, unless you're willing to do this, don't even talk to me about being a disciple. What is it? Deny yourself. Deny yourself. Take up your cross, and your cross is not the burdens and the junk and the mess that your family's in and the mess that other people have dumped on you. Because I've heard people say that before. You know, they they have a problem child in the family. They have a problem uh, relationship in their family. Well, I guess that's just my cross to bear. No, 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 baby. Jesus' cross to bear was his assignment on the earth. Now, you might have some junk and you might have some burdens that you feel weighing you down, and that's the stuff that the Word says that you're to cast all your cares upon the Lord. But the cross that Jesus demands that we pick up is your assignment on the earth because you have a purpose. Your job ain't your purpose. Your purpose might be carried out in your job, and that might be the atmosphere that God places you in to carry out your assignment, but that's not your job. The cross you bear... so. Denying yourself. I'm going to go ahead and drop it. Philippians chapter 4. I'll give you a nugget of it. The Lord's percolating something in me. Glory to God. Philippians chapter 4. Is it 4? Is it chapter 4, Cheyenne? 3.19. Thank you. Excuse me. Philippians 3.19. So let me read verse 17 to you. Brethren, join in following my example and note those who walk as you have us for a pattern. Paul's saying, look at my life. Let it be a pattern to you. You know what? Some people say, don't follow me, follow Jesus. Shame on you. You ought to be following Jesus so closely that you could tell someone else, if you follow what I'm doing, you're going to do okay. 
I ain't perfect. Paul said, Paul said, look, I've not attained. And not that I have already arrived. And not that I'm working in perfection. But I'm pursuing it. I'm hot after it. That's, what, that's the goal that my eye is on. And then because he had that mindset, he, in one place he says, he said, let all the, who are mature be of this mind. Okay? He, say, he says, join in following my example and note those who walk as you have us, have us for a pattern. For many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. Oh, this is the thing now. Churches full of people. Churches full of people. Their name's on the roll. They got the little pin for perfect attendance for that year or whatever. And they say, oh, I love the Lord. I love the Lord. Remember, I love the Lord. They draw near me with their lips. It says, they're enemies of the cross of Christ. Now listen. Say, Pastor, you being critical. No, my God, my God, this is a wake-up call for the church of America. Because we're going to watch this thing go belly up, and you don't think you don't think God will remove stuff from a place, revelations when when the Lord Jesus was speaking to John, and he was telling the churches to repent. He said, "Repent, or I'll take your candlestick from you." Well, you read that the candlestick was the church. Go back up and read the very first part of the verse. It says that the candlestick, the angel of the church of da-da-da-da, was the pastor. Because I understand the word angel can literally just mean messenger. So it said, to the messenger, to the pastor of the church of da-da-da-da-da, say, and the church, who walks among the seven golden candlesticks, talking about the churches, the, church, the, the candlestick represented the church. And he said, if you don't repent and change the way you think, I'll take your candlestick from you. Would God take a church out of some place? Yes, He would. God most certainly would. Because, why? Because they won't repent. Was there a time when Jesus told His disciples to do this? And guess what? They still had synagogues in that town. They still people getting together every Sabbath and reading the Torah and going through their religious motions. Jesus, Jesus, he, Jesus, the Lord Jesus. Not if we don't even believe, if we have a little room to be skeptical about a man that was just writing under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, can we take Jesus's words for it? There are people who will be in churches all across this country who are enemies of the cross of Christ. What? What? They're going to church. They're going to church. Devil goes to church every morning, baby. Amen. He rides with some people. Amen. You ought to open the door and kick him outside of the interstate and make him ride his thumb back to Valdosta, right? Amen. Listen, why are they enemies of the cross of Christ? Whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory who glory in their shame, and who set their mind on earthly things. We're not looking at the unseen things. We're looking at the seen things. That means you're sensual. That means you're carnal. That word carnal and fleshly in the Bible, it literally means you're ruled by your senses. That you can read the Word and you can see what the Word says one thing, but your mind, your reasoning, and what you see with your eyes, what you observe with your natural senses, and what you, conclusion you come to with your own mind, you, it comes up to a vote. Well, I know the Word says this, but I just don't feel like that. Well, I know the Word says... This is when you know you're in trouble. I know the Word says, but... 
Yeah, you, you better get your butt in line with the Word. Amen? Is that you do what the Word says. This is what, in this Scripture it says, He says, they are enemies of the cross of Christ. Now, thank you, Lord. Thank you. It doesn't mean they're enemies to what the piece of wood that Jesus hung on and died on. Thank you, Lord. Back to discipleship. What's the cross? Your assignment. Your purpose. They're enemies of the purpose of Christ in your, in your life. They're enemies to the purpose of Christ because uh, for they, uh, for, uh, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, who glory in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. That phrase that says, whose God is their belly, it literally means your God is your appetite, a.k.a. the desires for other things. that chokes the seed of the Word and makes it unfruitful. And so there's churches all over this country filled with people who say, I love the Lord, and they do not know what love means because this is what most of them mean. They mean, I have a sentimental attachment to a man called Jesus. And baby, that ain't love. I believe you got the wrong emotion. To quote an old Ario Speedwagon song, baby, that ain't love. Jesus said, if you love me, you keep my commandments. You pick up your cross. You find out your assignment. You find out your purpose because nobody else can tell you to. I might be able to talk with you and help give you godly counsel and give you some advice that steers you to your purpose. But you have to find that out. You pick up your cross and you follow Jesus. But you understand this, is that that's the way to fruitfulness. And you understand this, the first commandment. Be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth. If we can't get past our appetites, our your belly, your appetite, your desire, hmm? if we can't get past that, if you cannot, and this is the thing, and you have, and you understand this is hard teaching. This is this ain't this ain't this ain't Candyland preaching. This is this is the latter rain that the Holy Spirit's pouring out and the latter rain is for the maturing of the saints. It, the latter rain matures the crops. Ain't it good at the end of the season when it's getting close to, 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 to harvest time to have, a, have some good, consistent, uh, steady rains come down because right before you're putting the sickle in, boom, man, you want, you want that cotton. You want them peanuts. You want whatever it is you're harvesting. Get that last little drink of water. Get the, come on, get that last little drink of water in because it's getting time. It's getting time. I'm getting ready to have to take the, heart, the combine and go through and harvest this stuff and another good rain. Or just, if I can get just a little more rain on it, it's going to bring it to full maturity and fruition. And I'm telling you, just like the day of Pentecost. How many disciples were there that Jesus had? I mean, I mean, that, that were, what, that, what were they start out with? 400 or something like that? What was it? I can't remember. 400? Anyway, there was 120 that made it. When Jesus addressed them, there was, a, there was hundreds that He said, go in Jerusalem and wait till the, till the, the day of Pentecost till the Holy Ghost is poured out. Can we agree that when the day of Pentecost, that was the early rain, right, on the church? That was the early rain. Well, you understand this, that there was a bunch of them that he spoke to, but there's only 120 out of hundreds that were obedient, who stuck it out, that received it. And this is another thing. It only fell on the ones who were looking for it. 
Everybody that was in Jerusalem could have had the reign of the Holy Ghost that day. But there's only 120 that were looking for it. And guess what? It fell. And can we all agree that that was one of the most powerful events in church history? And other people, when they went out in public with what they had, they mocked them and said, oh, they're a bunch of drunks. Why? They weren't looking for it. They didn't understand it. They weren't looking for it. And they really weren't interested in it. Only the people who were interested and hungry and looking for it got it. God changed our appetites. For two weeks, that's what the Holy Spirit's been telling me. Pray for your church. Pray for this city. God changed our appetites. If the devil shakes a Twinkie at you, go, No! I ain't touching that Twinkie, devil. Glory to God. I've been having to say that some, ain't I? Glory to God. And I don't want that Twinkie. Pastor slimming down. I don't want that Twinkie, devil. But spiritually speaking, look at this refrigerator with the cake. Don't you want to come lick the icing? When God's, when your good God, that is a, a God that can be trusted, has prepared a banquet table for you, and He says, "Come on, come on, come eat." Don't be like, don't be like the story of the kingdom of heaven, when the king prepared the banquet and said, "Go out and get them, tell them to come." All the ones that were bid didn't come. I'm gonna read you one verse. You got anything? You got something? Amen. I'm gonna read you one verse. Remember I said the biggest thing that makes us uh, resist the Lordship of Jesus is that we do not trust we do not trust God. We think we don't want to give up control. We think that we can manage our lives better than God can. Man, that's just borderline stupid, ain't it? That ain't borderline stupid. That's just stupid. No, God, I can do it. I, I, got, I got this. I got it. I got it, Jesus. I got it. Because we think that although, and know this, He may ask you to give up stuff that hurts to let go of. Understand this. God will never ask you to give up something. The greater the sacrifice, the greater the reward. And God is setting you up for blessing because He said if you will lose your life, and it didn't mean if you go out and die a martyr. Now, that definitely that is an extreme manifestation. of. But He means if you're willing to say, Jesus, you are Lord. I surrender the right of control to you. And I will, I will do what the Father says. I will speak what the Father says. If you do that, then the reward is tremendous. Amen? Jeremiah 29, 11. This is what God tells you. That you take, take comfort in this and knowing that God has got your best interest. How many of y'all ever told your children not to do something that they really, 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 really want to do? <laughs> Mom, Dad, you know, I really want to go down to Cruise Avenue. That's what, that's what they called it in Huntington where all the teenagers hang. I really want to go to Cruise Avenue and hang out with my friends are down there. No, son, they drink and you'll get in trouble down there. Oh, but I really want to go. No, you can't go. Okay, um, can I go stay on that with my friend? Wink, wink. <laughs> and then, at 1.30 in the morning, the phone rings in the Adkins household at 5383 Mount Vernon Road, Huntington, West Virginia. <laughs> Mr. Reverend Arnie Adkins? Yes. We have your son down at the police station. Can you come pick him up, please? 
How many of y'all know I really, really wanted to go downtown? But then I was really, really listening, wishing I had listened to my parents when Reverend, Mr. Reverend Arnie Adkins had to come pick his inebriated son up down at the Huntington Police Department. Oh, some of y'all think, well, I can't listen to Pastor anymore. Liquor, lips that touch liquor shall never preach to me, huh? Amen? All right. We won't dig in your closet. Praise God. 2911, for I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Listen to the rest of this. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you, and you will seek me and find me when you search with all, all your heart. I can't find God. I can't find I go to church, you know. I go to church, you know, and I'm there, you know, 75 minutes or whatever, and I, I even lift my hands during praise and worship, but I just can't find God. All, all your heart, all your heart, all your heart. That's when you find Him. That's when you, that's when you discover His character. Listen, it's just like, if, just imagine if Jesus sat down right beside you and He put your arm right around you. He said, he said, son, you know I love you. Daughter, you know I love you. I would never ask you to do anything that's going to hurt you. I may be asking you something that may be real unpleasant to your flesh for you to want to do it. But look, if you'll just trust me, I'm setting you up, man, to propel you to greatness in the kingdom of God to fulfill the purpose that when before you were even formed in your mama's womb, I had in, plan, had in store for you. Amen? Pastor Cheyenne? I was um, sitting there and I was thinking and praying as Pastor was preaching that it was coming across good and everything was going well. And I could just um, sense some of you thinking, my God, this is hard. Why is Pastor being so hard? Why is he... Why is he beating on us like that? Why? 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 And you know what? The scripture came to me where Paul said, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. And you know what? Today God says, you know what? It, this whole denying yourself thing, this whole take up your cross and follow me thing, this whole come on. You know what? I, I can just sense the Lord saying how much I love you. And how much it is my mercy to send a man of God to you, to talk to you about your life. Because you can gain the whole world and lose what is the most important thing. You can stand at the door and receive Jesus and live a life of defeat and destruction. And the Apostle Paul said, I beseech you. And normally we don't do this. We say if you want it, get in. But this morning, guys, the Lord Jesus, I beg you by the mercies of God to get in. Get in and walk in the fullness of God. Get into His kingdom. Put away the things that He speaks to you about. Because just like Pastor just said, there is nothing that you will give up for Him that He will not restore and replace hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of fold. Get in. Get in. It's scary. It's scary. Get in. Amen. Glory to God. Amen. Because you understand. Thank you, Pastor Cheyenne. That is when you know you're really walking by faith. Because as long as you set up your own perimeters, you can't have... You understand this? If you operate within the boundaries that God places in your life, that's freedom. If you operate in the ones that you've set up, that's a prison. Amen. 
This morning, we're just going to ask you to stand this morning. Amen. And if we're just, I've said this before, the Christian life is a life of repentance. And that word repent just literally means I change the way I think. I change the way I think to come in line with God's Word and what God says. And so repentance should never be anything that we as believers do one time in our life and we walk away from because actually repentance is the process of renewing your mind. And we're commanded to do that our whole life. So this morning, if you need to come to an altar and pray, amen. Come to an altar and pray. If, you, if right there where you stand, you're like, God. Because you understand this. They never gave no altar call in the book of Acts. They just preached and people were cut to their hearts. And they said, my God, I have got to make a change. Amen. You're here this morning. You understand, that's no shame. Never let pride stand in your way of just uh, looking at God and saying, God, I don't think like you do and I need to change that. I strive to be the type of person. You know, I'm a manly man, you know. Amen. I don't even like walking down the baby, aisle, baby doll aisle in the, in the toy store. Wait till Savannah's older and I'll push her down there and nobody will think, mm, what's up with him? I'm a manly man, but you know what? I strive, one of the things I strive is if I do somebody wrong, is I will go to you and I will look you right in the face and I'll say, I did you wrong. I was wrong and I apologize and I ask you to forgive me. And some people think that's weakness. But you know what? There's no greater strength than being able to be humble. It doesn't mean you think you're a worthless dog. Don't go to God and say, God, I'm such a worm. I've missed, I'm so sorry. He doesn't think that of you. But there's, you should always be tender enough to the point to where you can say, when you come to a realization of the Word, God, I, I don't think like you want me to think in that area. I, I've not renewed my mind of this yet. God, I have done you wrong, and I repent. I change the way I think. Amen? And if you need to do that, just pray this morning. There at your seat. Father, we just come to you in Jesus' name. Lord, we thank you, Father, that you are good. You're a good king, Father. Your plans for us are to prosper us and not harm us. Lord, to give us a future and give us a hope. And Father, right now, we just thank you for people making the decision right now. Lord, in our heart, we are determining, we are purposing, Lord God, that we repent. We change the way that we think. And that, Father, because we're convinced of your goodness, we know that we can trust you. Lord, letting go, denying ourselves, letting go of things that have held us in bondage, letting go of things that have prevented us from doing all that You've called us to do in our lives. Lord, the great hope and the future that You have for us. Lord, the losing of ourself. Lord, the, the losing of our life for Your sake and the Gospels, Lord. God, that we'll gain our life. That we'll just begin to live in the fullness of what you called us to. We give you thanks. We give you praise for it now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Do not leave this building and get busy and distracted in the day and lose the Word that was deposited in you. Words have been spoken that will impact your spirit. Paul told Timothy, give yourself to the prophecies that were spoken over you. In the name of Jesus, I command do not go out this door and let the stuff go away. Get the CD if you need to. We, may, we provide them for free. Get the CD. Get a CD. Take it with you because it will change your life. Amen. Keep it before you. Keep it before you. Amen. Well, praise the Lord.